0: Well, if you have a Bible, open it up to 1 Peter chapter 3. We're going to be looking at verses 17 through 22 this morning. Uh, if you were here last week, Alan covered the uh, verses right before that. Thanks for uh, covering for me, Alan. Here as we continue on in this letter, uh, we, we see Peter continuing to remind us of who we are, and who we belong to, and where we're headed. Peter wants us to clearly, clearly understand our identity in Christ. He wants us to see ourselves as being uh, forever identified with Jesus, connected to Jesus, like Jesus in our thoughts and in our behavior. that's, that's That's really what, It means to be Christian. That's what the word Christian means, right? Little Christ. It was used as more of a derogatory term at first. You people think that you're little messiahs, little Jesuses, little Christs. But instead of being insulted by it, uh, early Christians were flattered. Like, yeah, thanks. (laughs) That's our goal. That's our hope. That's exactly what we want to be. We want to be Jesus-like. And hopefully that's still the mindset that we have, that we wouldn't be offended if somebody called us Jesus-y, Christ-like. We want people to see how we talk and how we act and how we live and accuse us of trying to be like Jesus, right? Right? One of the one of the the earliest outward signs of our identification with Jesus is is baptism, uh, which which is just all about telling the world that we're identified with Him in this in this like uh, public way. It's it's part of the reason why we do baptisms the the way that we do them. Uh, it's not something that we do uh, for babies. Because we understand that the decision to accept Jesus Christ is one that we each need to make individually on our own. Our parents can't make that decision for us. They can help steer us in the right direction so that we can make that, that choice, but it's got to be our own. Also, part of the reason why we dunk people because there's something in the mode of baptism that identifies us with Jesus. We, we, don't, we don't sprinkle here. We have like a whole tub of water that we use and uh, a part of it too is that the Greek word "baptize" literally means to dunk, and in the Bible it talks about people going down into the water and coming up out of the water, because that symbolizes our identification with Jesus. We're uniting with Him. We're we're claiming His saving work through that mode of baptism. And I I talk about it every single time I do a baptism, that as we go down into the water, it's our identification with the death and burial of Jesus, which which is important that we understand. We are saying that we are identifying with him in his death. that his his death was real, that Jesus really suffered and died for us, and he really paid a price. Again, Peter reminds us of the suffering of Jesus and our identification with that all all throughout this letter. But there's more, right? It doesn't end there. I don't don't keep the people underwater. Some of them a little longer, depending but when we, we come back up out of the water, it's an identification with the resurrection of Jesus. That, that's, it's it's that, that death and that resurrection of Jesus that we are claiming for ourselves, that work of Christ that saves us and covers us and cleanses us. And it's with Jesus as our as our Savior and as our God and as our King that we eternally want to be identified. That's why we do baptism that way. And The problem is that we forget, though. That's why it's helpful to see other people get baptized. That's why there's a communion table. We need reminders. We forget that we are united with Jesus in this deep and spiritual and significant way. And we forget that he's supposed to be our example. And we forget that we're Christians, that we're little Christs. Again, that's, that's why we take communion as a reminder of what Jesus has done for us and, and, and who we are now because of our identification with him. And again, it's also why Peter writes this letter to remind us that we are followers of Jesus all the time. In the good times and in the hard times, every day of our lives, we are to be identified with him. In those hard times, it's important for us to understand that our suffering isn't a mistake. It isn't isn't abnormal even. It shouldn't be a surprise to us. We will face scorn and discomfort and suffering and abuse just like Jesus did. And we're to face it just like Jesus did. Just as a, as a quick r- review, Peter has already encouraged us to have this posture of submission for the Lord's sake to every human institution. Rulers, kings, employers, leaders. Submit even to those leaders who are ungodly and evil. Submit even to the husband who is disobedient to the Word. Don't rebel. Don't don't complain to the manager. Don't yell or argue or fight or rage against the machine. No. Peter tells us just to Humbly, quietly, submit. Even if it means suffering wrongly, and it will, probably. At times it's, it's better to suffer for doing good than for doing evil. It's better to suffer with humility and honor than to suffer for being a huge troublemaker. Better to suffer in a Christ-like way. Look at 1 Peter 3, starting in verse 70. For it's better, if God should will it, that you suffer for doing what is right rather than for doing what is wrong. For Christ also died for sins once for all, the just for the unjust, so that He might bring us to God. Having been put to death in the flesh but made alive in the Spirit, in which also He went and made proclamations to the spirits now in prison who once were disobedient. When the patience of God kept waiting in the days of Noah during the construction of the ark, in which a few, that is eight persons, were brought safely through the water, corresponding to that, baptism now saves you. Not the removal of dirt from the flesh, but an appeal to God for a good conscience through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who is at the right hand of God, having gone into heaven after angels and authorities and powers had been subjected to Him. So, uh, Alan last week preached on the passage right before this one that encouraged us to live honorable lives. Peter said, we're to be sympathetic. We're to love as brothers. We're to be compassionate and humble. Don't repay evil with evil. In other words, uh, live a life where you are a blessing. And here in this passage, Peter shows us how Jesus acted in that exact way, even in the face of suffering. And I think the, the, the purpose for this from Peter is, for us to see Jesus' suffering and understand or use it as a, as a way of making sense of our own suffering and struggles in this life. And the first thing we see in this passage is that the suffering of Jesus was purposeful. Christ also died for sins once and for all, the just for the unjust, so that, here's the purpose part, right? So that He might bring us to God. Jesus had a clear purpose for his suffering. The suffering and death of Jesus brought us back to God. That was, that was his whole reason for our coming. That was the divine mission. He was born to die for our sins once and for all. His sacrifice is not like the Old Testament sacrifices of bulls and goats that had to be repeated over and over and over again. No, Jesus' sacrifice was completely sufficient to cover over all of your sins and all of my sins, past, present, and future, all of them. And the, the, the once and for all part of this is, is kind of important, too. Who, who can be covered by the blood of Jesus? Who is able to be saved by the sacrifice of Jesus? All people are. Everyone can be saved. The sacrifice that Jesus made was sufficient to cover over every single sin, so that all who come to faith in Jesus will be saved. Now, does that mean that everybody does come to Jesus and place their faith in him? Uh, n- no, they don't. But they could. W- what if Jesus hadn't gone through with his suffering and death? What if he refused to face such unfair treatment by the Jewish leaders? What if he, he, he rebelled against uh, Pilate and, and Herod and the civil leaders while he was on trial? What if, what if he just raged against those who, who mocked him and spat on him? And the whole purpose that, that he came for would have failed. Jesus knew that his suffering was a part of God's plan and that it was for a specific purpose. In light of that, here's my question for you. Does God have a plan for your life? Does He have a purpose for your life? And, and is He able to use the suffering and the pain that, that you've gone through or you are going through to accomplish His sovereign purposes? Absolutely. Absolutely. I know that when we're in the midst of it, we don't understand, we don't see maybe how there could be a purpose or a plan. We just hurt. But God's Word assures us that there is a purpose and a plan even in the midst of our hardship. Romans 8, 28, and we know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God to those who are called according to his purpose. He's got a purpose. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to become conformed to the image of his Son, so that he would be the firstborn among many brethren. Those whom he predestined, he also called, and those whom he called, he also justified, and those whom he justified, he also glorified. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who is against us? There is a purpose in your suffering. God is working all things together for good. God is for you. Who can be against you? In James 1, we read: Consider it all joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance. Let endurance have its perfect result, so that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Be at peace, even joyful when you face trials, because you know that there is a purpose for them. And here, James says that that purpose is perseverance, endurance that perfects us. Romans 5, 3. Not only this, but we also exalt in our tribulations. Knowing that tribulation brings about perseverance. Perseverance proven character. And proven character hope. Hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured out within our hearts through the Holy Spirit who is given to us. <laughs> exalt in your tribulations, the Bible tells us, because they have a purpose. And here in Romans, the purpose is, again, perseverance in proven character and hope. You are connected to Jesus in his sufferings. And just as his suffering was purposeful, so is yours trust god with that the second thing we see from this passage is that the suffering of jesus was real it it wasn't uh imaginary he he wasn't just some like spirit or ghost like some gnostics thought He he was human flesh and blood and he really suffered and maybe the passage that, that this is the most evident to me is found over in Luke 22, where Jesus is praying in the garden uh, right, right before He's going to be arrested. And says He withdrew from them about a stone's throw and He knelt down and began to pray, saying, Father, if You're willing, remove this cup from Me. Yet not My will, but yours be done. An angel from heaven appeared to him, strengthening him. Being in agony, he was praying very fervently, and his sweat became like drops of blood falling down upon the ground. I think part of the reason that the Gospels contain details like this is to help us to never forget that Jesus was human. As, as well as is f- fully divine, and just like anyone who's about to face the kind of severe suffering that he's going to face, he's he's dreading it. He says, "Remove this cup. I'm I'm not looking forward to it." He, He knows there's a purpose to it. He knows it's why He came. And He's still totally willing to submit to God's sovereign will and God's sovereign plan. But, oh man, this is hard. God didn't take the cup from Him, right? But instead, God sent an angel to come and minister to Him. Which again, I find fascinating. I don't know what that means exactly. What did that angel do? I mean, was it just encouragement and moral support? Was it just company? Was it, was it food? What was it? <laughs> I, I don't know for sure. But I think it was something along those lines. I think the angel came and ministered to his physical and emotional needs at the moment. He says in agony as He prays, drops of sweat mixed with blood fell from His brow. Jesus really felt the emotional pain of His sacrifice. And He felt the physical pain of being beaten and nailed to a cross and suffocating to death. At the start of chapter 4, in First Peter, he says, "Therefore, since Christ has suffered in the flesh, arm yourselves also with the same purpose, because he who has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin." Again, why, why does Peter remind us of the reality, of the fact of, that Jesus suffered in the flesh? I think it's because the suffering that we face is also real. Just because we're Christians doesn't mean that we're insulated from pain and hurt and hardship. God still has a plan and a purpose. And, And we know that. We get that. We understand that. With our heads, but suffering still hurts. Tears will still fall to the ground. Uh, The example we have here is keep on praying fervently. I think God will still send us ministering spirits who will comfort and strengthen us. But there are times when all we can do is suffer with grace and patience asking God to let it pass, but ultimately trusting His will. And Peter knows that, that there's a very real suffering that's headed their way. Up to this point, his readers have been humiliated, they've been mocked, but Peter knows that it's going to get worse for Christians before Jesus comes back again. And the encouragement here is that don't, Don't freak out. God is still in control. There's still a purpose to it. But again, please don't think that just because you're a Christian, you won't feel real pain. That's not a very comforting or encouraging thought. I don't know. But I'm glad he doesn't end there, right? There's more to it than that. And Peter never ends with just the bad news. He always loops back around and reminds us of the good news. He reminds us here that even though Jesus' suffering had a purpose and it was very real and very painful, it was worth it. It was worthwhile. Having been put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the spirit, in which also he went and made proclamation to the spirits now in prison who were once, uh, once were disobedient when the patience of God kept waiting in the days of Noah during the construction of the ark, in which a few, that is eight persons, were brought safely through the water. Corresponding to that, baptism now saves you. Not the removal of dirt from the flesh, but an appeal to God for a good conscience through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Who is at the right hand of God, having gone into heaven after angels and authorities and powers had been subjected to him? Ultimately, Jesus is victorious that, that's what Peter wants to remind us of here he won the victory now every every commentary that I have says that this is probably the most problematic confusing difficult passages of scripture in the whole bible the bible's pretty big so for them to make that claim it tells you something Uh, and it is confusing like what, what exactly does peter mean when he says that jesus went and made proclamations to the spirits in prison like who are those spirits where's the prison what does that even mean why does he mention the days of Noah and the construction of the ark? And, and what, is, what does it mean when he says that, that this baptism now saves you? That seems problematic. Uh, let me start with the, with the easy one, the big picture answer. Again, here Peter is talking about the victory of Jesus. He's highlighting the fact that Jesus' mission was a success. That the suffering and the pain was worth it in the end. That God's will was done. That the victory was won. And that the momentary grief that Jesus faced was worth it in the end. And now Jesus is seated at the right hand of God the Father in heaven, and all angels and authorities and powers are subject to Him as the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And and because we are united with Christ, we too can have the same kind of confidence that our suffering will ultimately be worth it. We too get to be raised from death to life. We we too get to be a part of this victory parade of Jesus. We are more than conquerors through Christ. I think that's... What Peter is talking about when he talks about Jesus proclaiming to the spirits in prison who were once disobedient. I think he's talking about fallen angels, enemies of God, those uh, who followed Satan and who led people astray like in the time of Noah, who might have even thought that they won the battle. But they didn't win then and they, they didn't win now. Back then, God graciously preserved a few, eight people, through the flood waters. God was ultimately victorious then, and he was victorious through Jesus. And Peter compares the salvation of Noah's family through the flood to our salvation through the baptismal waters. Corresponding to that, baptism now saves you. Not, not the removal of dirt from the flesh, but an appeal to God for a good conscience through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So is, is Peter telling us that the act of being baptized is what saves us? No, no. I mean, he, which is why he even clarifies his analogy here. It's not the removal of dirt that saves you. It's not that you had a bath that saves you. It's our heartfelt and honest appeal to God through the resurrection of Jesus that saves you. And just like we talked about earlier, uh, baptism is an object lesson that, that points to the death and the burial and the resurrection of Jesus. It's, it's baptism as an analogy of what Jesus has accomplished for us. It's, it's that sacrifice that saves us. All right, that wasn't that hard, right? That was that was easy, not that confusing. Uh, but really, Peter is simply talking about the fact that Jesus is Savior and King. And those disobedient, rebellious spirits didn't win the victory. Jesus did. And he got to take his victory lap and proclaim his triumph over sin and death and the grave. Jesus' suffering was purposeful, it was very real, and it was worthwhile. He did exactly what he came to do. God's power and God's glory and God's might is clearly on display. And, and the same is true of us. Our suffering w- w- will be purposeful because God is sovereign. Sovereign it'll be real and it won't be fun but it'll be worthwhile because god has a plan god will do exactly what he has planned to do through us and god's glory will continue to be on display as we trust him and keep that same attitude of humility that christ had let's pray god i thank you lord for jesus as our savior and as our lord and as our example. And God, and I do pray that that we would follow His lead in our own suffering, understanding that You are a God who is in control and is sovereign and has a purpose and a plan. Help us to be uh, humble, patient, submissive, not angry or rebellious. Help us to trust You in the midst of things that are unfair and hurtful and painful. Help us to constantly cling to You. Help us to never forget that we are united with Christ in His suffering and in His death and in His resurrection. We have that hope of resurrection and life and heaven awaiting us too. Thank You, God, for all of the good gifts that You've given us.